0: It's lovely to be here tonight. Um, I'm Josh. I'm a philosophy student at Oxford. Um, I have an interest in apologetics, which is what you've been doing a series on at the moment in Encounter. Um, I want to say firstly a massive thank you. Where is Kathy? Where is Kathy? Um, Kathy. A massive thank you to Kathy for inviting me tonight. Um, the, yeah. Um, so thank you so much to Cathy, Thank you to Wes for everything that he's done wherever he is. Um, yeah. And it's a real pleasure to be here. Um, to talk to you about um, why trust the Gospels which is what we've got as a um, topic tonight Um, it's always good to do an outline to say where I'm going Um, that way I make sure I go in the right direction so first I want to say why, what I'm actually going to talk about um, where I'm going, why it's important Um, then I'm going to explain what undesigned coincidences are more on that in due course then I'm going to go through a couple of these undesigned coincidences which have a very handy acronym to help you remember them and finally I'm going to I'm just gonna yeah and finally I'll say where you can go going forward so that you can have a look into this more if you want to um so you can remember more about it great um we had the passage we had with us was 2 Peter 1 and so that was 2 Peter 1 12 through 21 and Peter is writing to this church he's writing to them and they are persecuted. I think there are two really key things that take place in this passage. Um, the first is Peter says what he's actually talking about. He says that um, I'm doing this because I want you to remember these things. And so he wants you to, that after my departure, you will always be to remember, able to remember these things. So he wants them to be fully equipped. This is not about him. This is not about him as a kind of super... Um, apostle or anything like that, he wants them to be able to remember it, so similarly tonight this isn 't about me this isn 't about me kind of knowing everything or because i don 't know everything for one. Um, this is about the church this is about and the church is you as a people, and that means that hopefully you guys can remember it instead. Um, the second thing is what he wants them to remember and the nature of the things. He wants them to remember. So it's worth kind of thinking about the ways he describes it. So he says that these are not cle- uh, we did not follow cleverly devised stories. And he says that these is something completely reliable. And he says that these are that we were eyewitnesses of these His Majesty. And it says that um, this is a prophet. The prophets, though human, they spoke as though from God, and they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is a really powerful thing that he's talking about, something completely reliable, something carried along by the Holy Spirit, something absolutely massive he wants them to remember to talk about Um, now, when you might talk about the Gospels today, you might talk about um, the nature of Christianity God coming down to earth being raised from the dead, dying for our sins it's fair to say that not everyone in the world, not everyone in the UK not everyone in your school or in your wherever you are believes that it is from god if they don't all believe that this is true um, and then they might ask you so you're talking about it you say oh what was i doing on sunday you say, Oh, i was at church you Say, why are you at church because oh, i believe christianity is true and then why do you believe christianity is true so we need reasons to believe it sometimes i think it is we don't have to be afraid of truth we don't have to be afraid of reason um that doesn't mean reason is um that we need to put it in its rightful place but it doesn't mean we need to be afraid of it either And so what I want to talk about tonight, so 1 Peter 3.15 says that always be prepared to give a reason for the hope within, Um, in your heart sanctifying Jesus as Lord. Um, And so that's what I want to do tonight. So the nature of the things I'm talking about are things called undesigned coincidences. You may not have heard of them, that's absolutely fine, I hadn't heard of them for a while before. Um, What is an undesigned coincidence? I'm just going to read it off for you. An undesigned coincidence is a notable connection between two or more accounts or texts that doesn't seem to have been planned by the person who is, or people giving the accounts, That, despite their apparent independence, um, the items fit together like pieces of a puzzle. So the person on this slide is a woman called Lydia McGrew. Lydia McGrew is amazing that she is a philosopher in the U.S. She is also a kind of mom who stays at home um, and she like has written this fantastic book called Hidden in Plainview. And she's talking about how the Gospels fit together. And they fit together kind of like pieces in a puzzle is the way that she describes it. Now, the gospels that we have, when we have our Bibles, so we have a nice Bible here that we usually look at our Bible and we think, oh that's just one book. That that's sometimes helpful because there's a kind of coherent narrative coming through. We also need to remember that the Bible is also a lot of different documents which have been put together and they are not all written at the same time and they tell things in slightly different ways. So we're looking at the Gospels tonight and when we're looking at the Gospels we kind of get through and we have Mark which was written first probably and we have Matthew as well and we have Luke and they're all quite similar and they tell things slightly differently but they're quite similar in a lot of ways. They're what are called the Synoptic Gospels. Um, And then we have John as well and John is... Um, tells things in another different way, and tells it kind of uh, quite a lot more differently than some of the others. Um, just because, and that's okay. It doesn't mean that they have to tell everything in exactly the same way. If they did tell everything in exactly the same way, that would be much fishier, that would be much more suspicious because then we'd be like, oh, he's just copied this person. And so instead, it suggests to us that these are independent documents. These are things which have been written by different people because they want to tell us different things about the event. They are hearing things from different people. So that's why they do that. Um, What that means is not every account is trying to be a complete account of the entirety of Jesus's life Um, the gospels are each kind of stories of Jesus's life and they're not supposed to be complete on their own now if they're not supposed to be complete on their own that means that they may not fill in all of the details all of the time and what that allows for our purposes is for them to come together and fit together like pieces in a puzzle and confirm each other um, which is surprising and shows to us that they might be true Um, and things that we can trust base our lives on all the rest Uh, thank you very much Um, tonight is not about uh, just as with Peter it was not about him being shown to be a really impressive thing tonight is not about me looking impressive and I don't want you to go away from here I would like you to go away from here thinking about how wonderful I am and funny I think but that's not the purpose of tonight it's not about me Um, it's about you remembering these things it's about you remembering (laughs) the reasons that you can trust the Gospels, the reasons that you can base your life on them. Um, And so because I want you to help to remember those things just like Peter did, um, that means that I'm using a mnemonic. That means that's really cheesy. A mnemonic is just a kind of little memory device to help you remember stuff. So what you've got up there is that if any of you learned music, anyone who learned the piano, hands up, little interactive stuff right here, um, that's great. Um, That We have... For anyone who learned your treble clef, this is Every Good Boy Deserves Fun. So that's EGBDF. And between that, you have FACE is the other one. Now, if you were in the bass clef, the bass clef had All Cows Eat Grass. A-C-E-G. I like, stopped learning piano when I was about nine years old because I was rubbish at it. But I still remember those acronyms. And that's the important thing for tonight, is that the acronyms are helpful. There are little hinges and a little memory device that you can use to help remember stuff that you may not remember intuitively because it's kind of complicated and it's all very disparate. And so the acronym we have tonight is TRUE. and um, That's T-R-U-E. Um, that's partly because I want to talk about things that are true, but it's also because it's quite a helpful hinge for you to base stuff on. Um, so we're going to go through a few of these undesigned coincidences in the time we have. Um, so, great. Now, the first one is from is tea is for take this cup. So Jesus said to Peter, this comes in John 1811, that put your sword into its sheath, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? In John 1811. So a bit of context for this passage. This comes in the garden, um, that Judas has, come, has just come along with a load of Roman soldiers. Um, and he betrays jesus with a kiss and it's this emotional scene and as he betrays him with this kiss he have got all these soldiers in the garden and peter comes up and he chops off one of the servants ears and we can t- we'll talk a bit about that later as well but he chops off one of these servant's ears and that's not the idea don't do that that's not the way to follow jesus pro tip um and jesus says to him that Put your sword into it, cheese Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? That's not what He's supposed to do. Now, He uses this metaphor of a cup, which is slightly strange. And that isn't very usual. In fact, if you look at John, you look at the entirety, you can read through the entirety of the Gospel of John, and you won't find the description, or you won't find that Jesus using this metaphor anywhere in John. You won't find it at all. You can have a look. Go read for yourself. You don't have to trust me on this. Um, you can go away. You can have a look for yourself, and you won't find metaphor of a cup. So it's a slightly strange metaphor, um, and it's a pretty strange time to bring it up as well. If he hasn't. There's no context for this in John. So why is John using this metaphor? What is this metaphor about? Um, why would he do this? Now, if you looked at John and you only had John on its own, you wouldn't really get that. Um, luckily, we don't just have John. We have all these other gospels, and so the explanation. If you could go to the next slide, thanks, Ken. Um, The next slide that this is explained that if you look at Matthew and of course Matthew is written elsewhere it talks that Jesus is praying in the garden of Gethsemane and he says that my my father if it is possible let this cup pass from me nevertheless not as I will but as you will so the reason that he does this is that the context for it is talking about a cup anyway Um, he's using this metaphor anyway and that kind of converts. now neither of these is mentioned in any of the others so you don't have talk about the you don't have this prayer in John you don't have the talk about the cup in Matthew later on and so these are kind of independent so you can see that these are different and nevertheless they kind of come together like pieces in a puzzle um, that is quite exciting and what's even more exciting is that these are kind of theologically significant um, the cup of suffering—it talks about the, a cup of suffering a bit later on in Matthew, I think. Um, but the idea of a cup is its language in the Old Testament, where the, um, God would punish certain people, and it's talking about the wrath of God, and that Jesus is saying that if it be possible, let this cup—this cup pass from me. Never, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus is saying that I will take this cup, and I will take the wrath, and I will take the, all the punishment that these people deserve, and I'll take it on me um, for you and so what we have something confirmed through this kind of coincidence is something actually really significant for us um, and so that's quite exciting I think um, if we can go on to the next one number two so we had T was for take this cup R is for raised in three days so we have a little quote here So, then some stood up and bore false witness against him saying we heard him say i will destroy this temple that is made with hands and in three days i will build another not made with hands so that's in mark 20 24 57 58 um the context for this bit this is at the trial of jesus so you can see a little picture there um the sanhedrin are around um you've got um Pilate up there but um, nevertheless so what happens in this context the sanhedrin are around and they are trying to get jesus killed um so what they do is they bring a load of false witnesses along and they try and get this testimony against him and these people just say all these lies about jesus and they one of the lies they talk about is that we have heard him saying that he will destroy this temple um now that's treason in this culture the temple is a kind of cultural hub um, where loads of stuff happened um, and so this is a really significant thing that Jesus would have done. And so you can understand why they'd want to lie about that. They'd want to lie and say Jesus is going to destroy this temple because that would be treason. Um, but if they wanted to lie about that, it doesn't make sense that they would lie about the next bit. Because it, it doesn't just talk about him destroying the temple. It also says that he's going to raise it in three days. Um, now, why would you say that why would they say that jesus said this why are they being nice to jesus that he's going to rebuild the temple and why is he going to rebuild it in three days how on earth is he going to be rebuilding it in three days in something that's like not made with human hands what on earth are they talking about this is just doesn't really make sense and if you're making this up you're not going to do something so strange you put in this little strange comment um seems very weird um there is an explanation of it, luckily. And we can look at John and it says, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. You will, will you raise it up in three days? But he was t- speaking about the temple of his body. So if you look at somewhere like 1 Corinthians 6, this is quite a common metaphor. or like, They're common enough metaphors. So it says that you know, our bodies, are temples of the Holy Spirit. Um, so what this means is that The body is a metaphorical thing. Jesus isn't actually saying he's going to destroy the temple. That's not what he's doing. He doesn't want to do that. He's instead saying that I will just destroy this temple and in three days I will build it up. Um, He's talking about he's going to die just as we kind of heard about the thing that he was going to take this cup. He is going to die but in three days he's going to raise it up again. And so what this is, is this is a kind of rebuke that, yeah, so um, the prophecy here is confirmed and that's something supernaturally significant. As we can see, um, you can't predict that you're gonna die if you just don't know how on earth that Jesus is saying this quite early on in his ministry. Why on earth is, how old does he know that he's gonna die and that he's gonna be rise again if he's just a kind of mere human? And yet what we have here is him actually saying this and this seems like something he actually said because we have independent reason to believe it because of this confirmation in Mark. Now, again, neither of these makes uh, mentions the other. You don't have this prophecy anywhere in the Synoptic Gospels. You can have a look for yourself. And you don't have that nature of the trial scene if you look at John. The John trial scene is quite different. It talks about different stuff. So that's fine. That's what we'd expect if this is true. Um, Great. I'm just going to take a bit of orange juice. Mm, Lovely. So... Back to the back to the story. Um, U, we had T. T was for anyone remember what T was for? Take this cup, amazing. And R was for amazing. That's great. And U is for unlikely disciple. So we have Jesus said to Philip, "Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat?" So the context for this, this is the feeding of the five thousand. Um, Jesus comes along and he's going at, he's going along and he gets followed by this massive crowd and it's this big day and he has 5,000 people and it says it's 5,000 men and then it's a load of other women and children. So you think this is this massive festival and it says they start getting hungry. um so they, and they haven't got any food and that's a problem. um so <laughs> what happens is Jesus said to Philip, why should, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, I'd much love to Philip, but he's just quite an irrelevant guy. If you read the Gospels, he's just not the, like, he's not a major disciple. You could have Peter, who is this kind of strong disciple, and he's kind of cutting off people's ears, and he's um, doing all this amazing stuff, and he's the kind of major disciple in Acts. And so you have Peter on the one hand, or you might have Judas, and you have Judas who's kind of betraying Jesus, and he's in charge of the money, and so he's doing all this other stuff. Um, they're like major characters philip 's just not very relevant, and he just doesn 't do a lot and so you put yourself in the mind of someone you 're trying to make up a document you 're trying to say oh i 'm going to write a story of jesus 's life that 's completely wrong. Why on earth would you put philip in just doesn 't really make sense he 's just such an irrelevant guy and you 'd put in Judas because you say oh he 's got the money or you 'd put in Peter because peter 's the major man or like John or someone like that, but he doesn 't he puts in Philip, so why does he put in philip and Again, you don't get an explanation in John alone, but the answer is quite circuitous actually. So, if you look at Luke, you find that the feeding of the five thousand, because it's recorded in multiple accounts, you find that it's from a town called Bethsaida. Okay, Luke 9:10. And if you look at John. It says that Philip was from the town of Bethsaida. So that's somewhere else in John. This was John 6 before. It's the feeling of 5,000. John one forty four is the beginning of John. So it's completely random. It doesn't make any reference to this. So, how does this work? He's asking him because Philip's from the area. That's why he's asking. It makes perfect sense to ask him if that's the reason that Philip's from their side. Of course, he'll ask Philip. He's kind of a bit of local knowledge. Just ask. I wouldn't. You wouldn't ask me where to go to shops in Bath. I don't know. But you might uh, might ask Rick or someone like that. Makes perfect sense. Um, And so it's quite again. It's quite a weird way of doing it. this confirms a miracle because what happens next is they don't go and buy bread in Bethsaida. They then make a load of bread in it. They make five thousand, they feed five thousand people with, um, what's five loaves and two fishes. And then they have baskets left over of this. So we don't just get a kind of random thing confirmed to a little detail of the gospels. So we get a miracle confirmed because this is something this. If it's recording that bit right, then it's probably recording the miracle right as well. Um, now this other exciting thing to, Um, talk about is that this takes place in a different direction to the previous case so this case Luke explains John so there's something weird in John that we don't really understand and Luke explains this in the other case it was the other way around so Mark talks about um, this kind of trial scene and the kind of false accusation that takes place there and that gets explained in John so this takes place a different way around that's not expected if we're, it's kind of some sort of weird borrowing of, off of each other, that's not an expect, you don't get it in both directions, that's perfectly what we'd expect if these are just true stories and this is just natural and it comes up, because they're recording different details of the accounts and they're just kind of fitting together It's absolutely what is to be expected um, great and so, we've got, we've had tea. remember what tea was for take this cup, what R what was R for Raised in three days. You? Unlikely disciple. Amazing. And we've come back to E, and E is for ear chopping. Um so we've come back to the shopping. Um so this is the little quote is from John eighteen. It says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. So, um let me just check. I've got plenty of time. Um so, the, the, this comes in the trial scene with Pilate. Um, Pilate um, Jesus is before Pilate, and he has a little conversation with him. Uh, he talks, uh, and they, the Pilate asks him a load of questions. Um, he asks him, what is truth? And he asks him all these other things. And Jesus ex- uh, explains to him, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. My servants would have been fighting, and all this stuff. Now it's quite a strange thing for him to say because of course if you look at the previous chapter if we remember Peter chops off a servant's ear it says the servant's name is Malchus Um, and then Jesus rebukes him and he says to him um, oh yeah like don't you remember I must take this cup and so he does that. Now why is Jesus saying this if he's literally the, the, the previous thing that just happened is the servant, the, one of his disciples comes on and chops off his ear. That's fighting. That's not what he's saying to Pilate. And you've got all these people in the room around him. You've got the Sanhedrin. They know what's happened. So why are they, why is he doing this? Why on earth is he lying when he can be so easily refuted? He's in a trial for goodness sake. And they don't even think anything's weird about this. You don't get them pushing back on this and saying, actually, Do you not remember just bringing the guy forward? So you don't get any pushback in this scene either. So why does this happen? Why is it um, that we get this? Now, we don't always have to get an explanation for everything that's in the Gospels. We don't have to get an explanation of everything because it's a limited account, as we explained earlier. Um, You don't have to always have that. But it is nice when we get an explanation, and an explanation we do get. So if we look at Luke... Um, now the important thing to remember so it says that one of them struck the servant of the high, street, high priest and cut off his right ear but Jesus said no more of this and he touched his ear and healed him. Um, now Jesus had rebuked this and so he'd healed it the reason they didn't bring a servant forward is he'd already healed it um, this is something that he had prepared that's why they didn't do it um, but what's fun about it is again they don't mention this so if you look at Luke it doesn't mention this nature of the trial scene. In fact, it says a load of different things about the trial scene. It says that um, that Pilate um, talks uh, asks him, are you Christ the King? Um, and he says, you have said it. And so it says a load of other different things, but it doesn't talk about this bit where Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Um, now, if you look at the account in John, it doesn't record this bit where the ear, ear gets healed. You can have a look at John 18. It just has this bit where um, the there's a little rebuke from uh, Jesus and then it kind of moves straight on to the trial scene and so again this fit is not something that we that looks designed um, it doesn't look like they have trying to refer to each other it doesn't look like they're copying each other because if they're copying each other they'd record the bit that's in the other one and not leave it like this but as it is that we have a completely unintended fit and that fit is showing these things to be true and again, what's exciting about this is we have a miracle that is confirmed by it, Um, it's not just a random little bit of the Gospels it's a miracle, it's a bit where an ear gets healed, Um, Jesus kind of touched this guy's ear and it gets healed that's not everyday stuff that's stuff that is really exciting and suggests that Jesus is more than just a mere man and has something more to him cool um moving forward um, there is so much more than this and I, I've got a bit more time so I can explain this. these undesigned coincidences I've ma- mentioned four to you tonight there are many more of these undesigned coincidences so there's a little book I mentioned by Lydia McGrew she goes through like at least 20 to 30 in the Gospels there are lots more of these um, there are more between Acts and Paul And she mentions a load of those as well. If you look at an older book by a guy called John James Blunt, it's called Undesigned Coincidences in the Old and New Testaments. You find a load in the Old Testament as well. So you find them in Genesis, you find them in David, you find it in all these other places. Um, That's one type of evidence, and this is a kind of internal kind of evidence um, that we can just look at the Bible, that if I just show the Bible to you, that's all you need to see this is reliable now we have other types of evidence too we have external types of evidence so we have a load of historical figures who are around the time so if you looked at someone like Pontius Pilate you can find him in external history or you could find places like Bethsaida in external history again this is if you are making up the event this is not what you'd find And so you have all this other external evidence as well Um, We have evidence of the authorship of the Gospels, so we have really good evidence that these came from the people who are Luke and Matthew and Mark and John. Um, We have plenty of other evidence as well, and so we have all these reasons which come together in a cumulative case um, to suggest this. Um, Just can we go back to the last slide, sorry. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Um, Yeah, so we have all these reasons to trust it. that if you wanted to go look at these going forward I've got a few places you can look at it so these are a few little books which have been written um, I'll also remember uh, mention a couple of videos that you might watch if you don't like books, that's okay um, the first one's a, a little book which is about 60 pages by a guy called Edmund Bennett um, so he was a lawyer, so that's why it's called The Four Gospels from a Lawyer's Standpoint and he talks about a few of these kinds of evidence that we have to trust the gospels he talks about undesigned coincidences he talks about a bit of the external evidence he also talks about some reasons that people doubt the gospels so he talks about sometimes people say oh we have these contradictions between the gospels um and he goes through a few of these examples and says actually no these aren't contradictions this is just that we need to read these in a different way and we need to take context into account and so that's a little short book um If you're uh, and I, so if you're not a strong reader, you don't like reading much. That's really 60 pages. You could, if you read five pages a day, you could do that in two weeks. It is doable. Um, The second is a book called A Manual of Christian Evidences by George Park Fisher. Um, He talks a few other kind of arguments. He talks um, about the miracles, and he talks about the resurrection, and he talks about. a load of other stuff. Um, if you're feeling even more ambitious you have A View of the Evidences of Christianity by William Paley. Now you might have heard of William Paley because he talks about this his watchmaker argument and which the kind of design argument came from so that's where most people have heard of him but what they probably haven't heard of is this book A View of the Evidences of Christianity and he goes through a load of different lines of evidence for why we should believe Christianity is true. He talks about the resurrection in death he talks about some of the external evidences to believe in christianity he talks about prophecy and then he also in his kind of third section he talks about all the reasons that people don't believe christianity is true if you went to cambridge before 1900 this was compulsory reading for you um that was and in later days they've taken that off which is quite sad in my view um because it's really great as a book um then we have Lydia McGrew Um, she talks about, she kind of goes into more detail with these undesigned coincidences and is the, and just does that in real detail and rigour and is kind of bringing it as up to date as possible Um, and finally I recommend a website called historicalapologetics.org it's started by a guy who it called Tim McGrew he's married to Lydia Um, he's another philosophy professor um, and he collated this website of all these older books um, where people have forgotten arguments over time that they've been forgotten for no real reason for why believing that Christianity is rational and something we can trust um, and something that we can appeal to anyway and so it's just a website which appeals to a lot of this stuff in terms of videos Tim McGrew also has a really really good lecture series um, on the reliability of the gospels. Suppose you don't like reading books, that's fine. But he also has a load of different lectures, so on kind of who wrote the gospels and um, external evidences and internal evidences, and then he also goes through some of the evidence against it. Um, and so there's so much you can learn. Um, some of you might be intimidated by some of this. That's fine. Um, it, I'm not saying that everyone here is going to be a, a, uh, have everything immediately and know all the answers immediately and sometimes you might think that you kind of have a fix so there's sometimes talk in psychology about a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset so a fixed mindset is saying that i have a fixed body of knowledge i'm, wait, I'm just not natural at apologetics i'm not natural at knowing this kind of stuff um now if you look at psychology that's usually not true anywhere that you can usually just kind of divert, if you put in the time you can grow in these things over time so if we have a growth mindset and say actually this is something that not that I'm not an apologist now but I'm not an apologist yet and this is something that if you put in time you can grow in it over time um, I wasn't kind of I haven't grown up with apologetics in my cop um, this is something I've learned over the last few years I've read it for probably about the last four years um, Started reading it at uni, and, and have been reading it and loving it ever since. And it's something that you can, when you put in the time, um, you really can learn a heck of a lot.